This is section twenty one of Mark Twain A Biography, Volume two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain A Biography by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter one hundred and twenty five The Quieter Things of Home. Upset and disturbed as Mark Twain often was, he seldom permitted his distractions to interfere with the program of his fireside. His days and his nights might be fevered, but the evenings belonged to another world. The long European wandering left him more than ever enamored of his home. To him it had never been so sweet before, so beautiful, so full of peace. Company came, distinguished guests and the old neighborhood circles. Dinner parties were more frequent than ever and they were likely to be brilliant affairs. The best minds, the brightest wits, gathered around Mark Twain's table. Booth, Barrett, Irving, Sheridan, Sherman, Howells, Aldrich. They all assembled, and many more. There was always someone on the way to Boston or New York who addressed himself for the day or the night, or for a brief call, to the Mark Twain fireside. Certain visitors from foreign lands were surprised at his environment, possibly expecting to find him among less substantial, more bohemian surroundings. Henry Drummond, the author of Natural Law in the Spiritual World, in a letter of this time, said, I had a delightful day at Hartford last Wednesday, called on Mark Twain, uh, Mrs. Harriet Beecher Stowe, and the widow of Horace Bushnell. I was wishing A had been at the mark twain interview he is funnier than any of his books and to my surprise a most respected citizen devoted to things aesthetic and the friend of the poor and struggling life of henry drummond by george adam smith the quieter evenings were no less delightful clemens did not often go out he loved his own home best the children were old enough now to take part in a form of entertainment that gave him and them especial pleasure acting charades these he invented for them and costumed the little performers and joined in the acting as enthusiastically and as unrestrainedly as if he were back in that frolicsome boyhood on john quarles farm the warner and twitchell children were often there and took part in the gay amusements the children of that neighborhood played their impromptu parts well and naturally. They were in a dramatic atmosphere, and had been from infancy. There was never any preparation for the charades. A word was selected, and the parts of it were whispered to the little actors. Then they withdrew to the hall, where all sorts of costumes had been laid out for the evening, dressed their parts, and each detachment marched into the library, performed its syllable, and retired, leaving the audience, mainly composed of parents, to guess the answer. Often they invented their own words, did their own costuming, and conducted the entire performance independent of grown-up assistance or interference. Now and then, even at this early period, they conceived and produced little plays, and of course their father could not resist joining in these. At other times, evenings, after dinner, he would sit at the piano and recall the old darky songs, spirituals, and jubilee choruses, singing them with fine spirit, if not with perfect technique, the children joining in these moving melodies. 
he loved to read aloud to them it was his habit to read his manuscript to mrs clemens and now that the children were older he was likely to include them in his critical audience it would seem to have been the winter after their return from europe that this custom was inaugurated for the prince and the pauper manuscript was the first one so read and it was just then he was resuming work on this tale each afternoon or evening when he had finished his chapter he assembled his little audience and read them the result the children were old enough to delight in that half-real half-fairy-tale of the wandering prince and the royal pauper and the charm and simplicity of the story are measurably due to those two small listeners to whom it was adapted in that early day of its creation clemens found the prince a blessed relief from a tramp abroad which had become a veritable nightmare he had thought it finished when he left the farm but discovered that he must add several hundred pages to complete its bulk it seemed to him that he had been given a life sentence he wrote six hundred pages and tore up all but two hundred and eighty-eight he was about to destroy these and begin again when mrs clemens's health became poor and he was advised to take her to elmira though it was then midwinter to howells he wrote i said if there is one death that is painfuler than another may i get it if i don't do that thing so i took the two hundred and eighty-eight pages to bliss and told him that was the very last line i should ever write on this book a book which required six hundred pages of manuscript and i have written nearly four thousand first and last i am as sorry and flighty as a rocket today with the unutterable joy of getting that old man of the sea off my back where he has been roosting more than a year and a half they remained a month at elmira and on their return clemens renewed work on the prince and the pauper he reported to howells that if he never sold a copy of his jubilant delight in writing it would suffer no diminution a week later his enthusiasm had still further increased i take so much pleasure in my story that i am loath to hurry not wanting to get it done did i ever tell you the plot of it it begins at nine a m january twenty seventh fifteen forty seven he follows with a detailed synopsis of his plot which in this instance he had worked out with unusual completeness a fact which largely accounts for the unity of the tale then he adds my idea is to afford a realizing sense of the exceeding severity of the laws of that day by inflicting some of their penalties upon the king himself and allowing him a chance to see the rest of them applied to others all of which is to account for certain mildnesses which distinguished edward the sixth reign from those that precede it and follow it imagine this fact i have even fascinated mrs clemens with this yarn 
for youth. My stuff generally gets considerable damning with faint praise out of her, but this time it is all the other way. She is become the horse leech's daughter, and my mill doesn't grind fast enough to suit her. This is no mean triumph, my dear sir. He forgot, perhaps, to mention his smaller auditors, but we may believe they were no less eager in their demands for the tale's continuance. End of chapter 125 The Quieter Things of Home Read by John Greenman